have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Isaiah 40. We'll be verses 12 through 31. That's on page 713. Well, here's what the Word of God says. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with the span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust of the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are his beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and cast for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing. It makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble, to whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, and not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? And my right hand is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is, is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. May the Lord add a blessing to his holy word. Amen. All right. Let us ask the Lord's blessings before we look into his word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for preaching. You say it's through the foolishness of preaching that men become 
saved. And Lord, you also said that uh, you've given teachers and pastors and elders so that uh, your people will not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And so we thank you, Lord, that uh, we can hear your word. And we pray, Lord, that we would hear what you have to say to us this morning. Uh, Lord, that all of the, the distractions of last week and the potential distractions coming up this week would be taken away so that we might hear what you have to tell us. And Lord, how the evil one loves to distract our thoughts, loves to get us away from the word. But Lord, we pray that you would bind him up and Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. And Lord, as I give the outward call, we pray that your spirit would speak inwardly into our hearts, convicting, comforting, and blessing. And so, Lord, now we pray that you would bless us during this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at our world today, especially as we are getting close to a, another presidential election, which will be coming up pretty quickly. There is concern as we see what is going on in our world, how evil seems to continue to dominate and how Christianity and faith in God continues to uh, be less and less important in our world and in our society. It's um, sometimes it's troubling to listen to the news to see how evil continues to prosper and evil continues to gain the upper ground. And often as you listen to uh, even conservative commentators, they speak of doom and gloom in so many different ways. Well, this is what um, in Isaiah chapter 40, what Israel was experiencing it seemed pretty hopeless for them. They were in captivity to Babylon. They were uh, away from their home. They were away from their church. Uh, they were um, under the rule and thumb of the Babylonians and it seemed pretty hopeless and helpless. Isaiah is a very interesting book. Most Bible commentators divide into two parts. Uh, chapter 1 to 39 really is God's declaring judgment on Israel and the other nations as well. And then chapters 40 through 66 is, is really a, a word for the uh, exiles as they return home and also the predictions of and the prophecies of the, the birth of our Lord and the death of our Lord and so on, how these things were prophesied hundreds of years before. It's called, it's made some say that, uh, referred to Isaiah as the gospel according to Isaiah because of how accurate a lot of the prophecies are. Some call it the, the fifth gospel. And it's interesting how uh, some call Isaiah mini Bible because it's 66 chapters in Isaiah and you have 39 chapters in the Old Testament and 27 in the new and Isaiah sort of is broken up that way. We got the 39 chapters and then the other 27. Some have said that there were two or 
more than one uh, person that wrote the book of Isaiah, a lot of uh, the liberal Bible commentators, but there's no evidence of that. It appears that Isaiah wrote the whole book. So as we look at uh, Israel in chapter 40, as God starts off in verse 1, comfort, yes, comfort my people. Indeed, this is a, a chapter of, of comfort. And so God has a message for Israel. What, how should Israel behave? What should they think? Because they are bewildered. They are discouraged. They are troubled. They are um, wondering about the future. And it seems that God has abandoned them. It seems that God has no longer on their corner or God doesn't care. Maybe you feel like that this morning. Maybe you feel that um, you can't go any further, that you've come to the end of your rope, that things are difficult and challenging. Maybe you feel like Israel at this point. Maybe you feel like the Babylonians in the, in the world are, are destroying us. Or maybe in your own personal life, you are experiencing a lot of heartache and pain and trouble. Well, God has a word for you this morning, just like he had a word for Israel there uh, hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. And the first thing that God wants us to consider is his majesty, his majesty. Well, as we look at the world, as we see how bad things are, as we see how um, evil is, is getting the upper hand, and yet God calls upon us to look at his majesty. He says there in verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollows of his hand and measured heaven with the span and calculated the dust of the earth in measure. God is showing us his infinite power there. When you think of all the waters, maybe this summer, can't believe the summer is gone now, as we're in now October, but maybe you've spent a lot of time at the beach. Maybe you go to the beach of La Jolla or maybe some of the other beaches in the local area and one of the things you have to be amazed about is how much how endless and boundless the water is in in, in at the beaches you know as when i'm on the ship and you see the endless seas when you're away from the the shore and you see we're miles out and you see that the seas are just uh just taking this this multi-ton ship and rocking it back and forth we have to put stickies on our computers and, and on other things so that we have to tie things, our chairs and stuff to the, something that's solid. Because if not, all of our stuff will be just destroyed. So it'll hold in place. And yet, these massive seas and the endless, boundless seas and, and God says that the seas are, are roaring and so on. And yet, here God says that he holds the seas in the hollow of his hands. Maybe if I cupped my hands and I took a little bit of this water and I, and I held that water, I could hold it. That's just a drop, a little bit of water. And yet, here, all of the seas in the world, the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, the Indian Ocean, all of it is held in the hollow of God's hands. And then he says he weighs the mountains and the scales and the hills in a balance. Like he puts the mountains, I don't know, uh, recently I was at the airport and the, uh, the person there was telling me to, 
I had a heavy suitcase, and he says, lift that suitcase and put it on the scale. And I could barely get it up there. Imagine um, all of the mountains. Think about that. Mount Everest, Mount Fuji, the Rocky Mountains, the, um, the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, all over some of the mountains, even in California, mesmerizing. They're awesome there. They're, it humbles you to look at them how powerful, how beautiful, how majestic they are. And here, Isaiah said, God puts all these mountains on a scale and weighs them. We see the awesome power of our God. And then he says one more thing. He says, who has directed the spirit of the Lord or who as his counselors taught him? You know, our, our knowledge is very limited. From the time we're born, we're learning things. You, know, you kids, you have to learn various things, don't you? You have to learn your schoolwork. You have to learn education. You have to learn how to ride a bike. You have to learn even the potty and all these other things. You have to learn. It takes time to learn these things. You know about being in school and how challenging it is to, to learn, to learn maybe a different language or to learn uh, math or science or English or whatever it is. It takes forever. It's laborious. It's hard. You have to go over it again and again. Sometimes you learn it and you forget it. and You have to relearn it and so on. We're always asking for, is even as adults, we have to learn. We have to get a new job. We have to be trained on it. We have to, uh, you know, different things in our life. We call people. Could you give me counsel here? Could you give me wisdom here? Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And so on. And yet, the Lord says no one has taught him anything. As Van Til, Canuus Van Til, the great apologetic said, the great apologist says this, that God knows everything all at one time. He knows it perfectly. He doesn't have to learn anything. He doesn't consult with anyone. He doesn't have to ask any questions. He knows everything all at one time. So you kids, when you're learning, you, when you're learning what God has created, you're thinking God's thoughts after him and so here God is telling Isaiah to God is telling Israel to consider how majestic he is how mighty he is that he is all knowing and then he says in verse 15 the nations are a drop in the bucket uh, the Babylonians were obviously fearful I mean excuse me Israel was fearful of the Babylonians surely they uh, ruled over them. They were exiled to them and so on. And what about us? Oftentimes when we look at the nations, we, as God's people, we, we fear them. We fear what they can do. We hear stories about maybe a new world order. And we hear things about how they're going to weaponize different things against different people. I saw on uh, social media at the Los Angeles Rams football game, uh, they had like these AI robots walking around. And of course, uh, there was a lot of comments there in the section, but it's just, uh, we see science, we see technology, we see all these things advancing. We ask, where does it stop? Where does it end? It is the God of science, the God of technology, and so on. And yet God says these nations are a drop in the bucket. Those of you who maybe have a garden or whatever, you're filling up a bucket and Maybe just a little drop falls out of the bucket. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference at all. Or if you 
just put a drop in a bucket, what would that do if you have to water your plants or water your garden? It's insignificant. And yet, God is saying all the nations in the world, all of the principalities, all the rulers, all these people, they're nothing. They're a drop in the bucket. He counts them as a small dust of the scales. They're nothing. Nothing at all. So he says, consider his majesty. Consider who he is. That's the first thing that, he that we should consider. The second thing that he, we should consider is the uniqueness of God. The uniqueness of God. He says in verse 18, To whom then would you liken God? Or what likeness would you compare to him? We always like to compare uh, ourselves to other people. Or, you know, if you're into sports and maybe you're talking about maybe the greatest ball players or greatest football or basketball or baseball players, maybe those who've gone before, you, you compare them. Well, I think this person is the best of all time. This person's number two or this person's number three and so on. There's always a comparison that we do. We compare ourselves to other people. But here, God says no one can compare to him. Who would you compare God to? What likeness would you compare him to? And he talks about the folly of idols. In verses 19 through uh, 20, he talks about these idols. He talks about the rich. They have idols. They uh, get a piece of wood and, and they got money so they can make their idols really nice and they add gold and silver to it and they have a, a workman who molds an image and 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 uh, the chains someone says those chains are there so that the the idol doesn't fall over and even the poor the poor don't have money but they still are able to find a tree that will not rot and seek a skillful workman and they prepare a carved image that will not totter now israel looking at this during this time surely had to think well, the Babylonians captured us. Uh, here we are in exile. Their gods are greater than our God. So perhaps we should worship their God. Because our God is not there. Our God is not around anymore. And so God asked the question, how foolish that is. Now, in our generation, in our world, we don't normally worship trees or take an image and, and cut it and mold it. But our gods are what? The gods of materialism, gods of wealth, the gods of honor, the gods of, of money, entertainment, pleasure. Those are what our gods are today. That's what we worship. We worship these things. This is what the world worships. And the church sees these gods and oftentimes they run after these gods as well. So what does God say to that? Well, he says in verse 21, you should know better. Because he says, have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? Here is God's people. They've heard about this God. They've heard about the God who created the heavens and the earth. They had a portion of the Bible. Some of it anyway. They know about what God did with against Pharaoh. 
They know about the laws of God. They know about the first five books, the Pentateuch and these things. And yet, God says, have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? And yet, you are still worshiping these dumb, false idols. He says, you should know better. And what about us? We have the whole counsel of God. We have 66 books. We have preachers and teachers. And, and we have all of the full revelation of God. And God says the same to us. And we're tempted to worship these idols. Don't we know better? Don't we understand? Have we not known? Have we not heard? Do we know what the word of God says? That these idols are nothing. These idols are foolish. These idols don't bring happiness. They don't bring joy. They don't bring anything. Because we have a nice car and a nice home. Because we have these things. We feel like we have... Um, we have accomplished something. These gods are nothing. They're false. They're false idols. They don't bring any peace. They don't bring any joy. And the madness of the world is that they know that and they still continue to run after these gods. Even after these idols continue to disappoint them. Continue to hurt them. They still run after them. And God says, understand who it is, who he is. He sits above the circles of the earth. His inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who is God? He's the God of heaven and earth. He's the God in Genesis 1. He said, let there be light. And there was light. He's the one that created all these things. The inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He sees every single person. And they're like grasshoppers. Men who feel like they are powerful and wonderful. And proud and arrogant. God calls him a grasshopper. And how powerful is God? He stretches out the heavens like a curtain. You guys who put up your curtains, how hard is that? It might be hard a little bit, but relatively speaking, it's pretty easy. Or spread him out like a tent. That's how easy it is for God to create the world. He, makes, he brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. This is our God sovereignly rules this world controls every aspect of this world everything happens under his knowledge and by his will whatever the lord pleases he does in heaven and earth that's psalm 115 verse 3 and that leads to my last point to consider is this is to consider The help that God gives his people. In verse 25, Israel, in 25 and 26, Israel, they said this, uh, excuse me, verse 27, they, they, they make this claim. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? In other words, God doesn't care. He doesn't see or he can't do anything about it. Those are the things that they were saying. That God is not there anymore. He's not there to help us anymore. And how easy is it for us to be tempted to say the same thing? That God doesn't care. God doesn't see. Or God cannot do anything to help us. This to me is really the 
one of the reasons why so many people leave the faith. It's one thing to have a trial and for it to end pretty briefly, pretty quickly. And sometimes God delivers us from those trials. But it's another thing to deal with trials that go on and on and on. Bab Israel during this time, there was not going to be any relief for them. This exile was going to take place for a while. Most of them will probably be dead by the time uh, the exile is over. There was not going to be any deliverance. They were going to be there for a while. And oftentimes God is pleased to leave us in trials and difficult situations for a while. And we pray about it. We fast over it. And we pray again and again and again. And what do we do at times? We become discouraged. We become tired. We say, I've had it up to here. Maybe you feel like that this morning. Maybe you feel like you can't go any further. You're at the end of your rope. That nothing works. That you have prayed. You have asked God for help. You have asked him to strengthen you. You have asked him for these things. For deliverance. And there is no deliverance. And you say, my just cause before God. God, do you see how I'm being treated? Do you see how I'm being abused? Do you not care? Do you not see? Do you see it? What is it that you feel like that today? Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's dealing with your family member, a marriage. Maybe it's your job. Could be a number of things that just continue to agitate you and irritate you that day after day, year after year, nothing changes, everything's the same. You keep praying and praying and praying and nothing happens. Well, what's God's answer to this? Again, in verse 28, he says, you should know better. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You say that I cannot do anything. He says, I neither faint nor weary. And my understanding is unsearchable. In other words, God says, I see it. I know about it. I see it better than you see it. I haven't ignored it. I have purposes for allowing you to continue uh, experiencing what you're experiencing, but I see it and I hear it and I know about it. My understanding is unsearchable. So what does he tell Israel? How should they deal with this exile? He says in verse 29, he gives power to the weak. To those who have no might, he increases strength. That's what he says. He gives power to the weak. And those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young man shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. It's a blessing that, he's, that he doesn't say you have it in you to deal with what you're going through right now. Just look inside of you. It's right there. But no, he says he gives power and strength 
to you so that you can deal with this. And look at the verse 31. He says, those who wait on the Lord shall, renew, not might, not possibly, shall renew their strength. What does it mean to wait? It's not like waiting for a bus to come or waiting for a ride. You're not doing anything. You're just sitting there waiting. No, waiting means to depend on God. Look to God. Trust God. Rest in Christ. That's what waiting means. Waiting means that we're active, but we continue to beg for grace, cry to him, look to him, and so on. Jesus says he is the vine and we are the branches. Without him, we can do nothing. We make good resolutions. We make, I'm going to be able to deal with this better. I'm going to be able to endure this better. I can do it. But no, how often do we fall? We need divine power. We need divine help. And that divine help comes from the Lord. That's what he tells us to do. Because how often when we are experiencing these things, the devil is there whispering in our ears that God doesn't care, that God doesn't hear, that your situation is hopeless, that God cannot do anything about it. You can't depend on this God. How much longer are you going to pray? How much longer are you going to look to him? Where is your God? Look at the Babylonians. They're rejoicing. They're dancing. They're having a good time. They're enjoying it. You should go join with them. How does he tell us to do the same today? Why are we here this morning at Reformed Presbyterian Church? We could be out doing anything, enjoying the world, doing what the world says. But God says he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. He says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. I googled eagles. Eagles are uh, the king of the of the bird uh, world. Uh, I was looking last night. It says that eagles can fly as high up to ten thousand feet in the air. They're strong, they're powerful, and they really never really get tired. They're strong and majestic. I was watching on YouTube. Um, Probably a couple months ago, I saw this eagle just take up this goat. And he got this goat. This is a, and I, it was amazing. And then he dropped the goat so that it would uh, fall on the rocks. And then he went and got him again. Because it said eagles are also very wise and very intelligent as well. Well, the Lord says this, that we shall mount up like eagles. We who are weak, we who are have no strength. We who feel like we're getting ready to faint. We should mount up like eagles. We should soar. Like eagles. What does it say in Colossians chapter 3? If we've been risen with Christ. Seek those things which are above. In other words. God will give us strength to soar up. To seek those things which are above. To seek the Lord Jesus Christ. To not. Focus on the things of this world, but on the things of Christ. Seeking first the kingdom of God. That's what he says. That we will have strength to mount up like eagles. Where we might be where our risen Lord is. That our attention, our strength, that we might live in one sense above the world. That we might keep our eyes 
focused on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. That he'd give us the spiritual strength to do that. And then he tells us that we will run, not be weary, and walk and not faint. He says in verse 29, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. I mean, even the greatest athletes who are young and in great shape, they tire. They get fatigued. They get hurt. They get injured. But God says here that we shall run and not be weary. It says in Hebrews 12, to a people who were being persecuted and afflicted, seeing that we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us what? Run this race with patience. In the military, we do a lot of running, a lot. <laughs> and the thing with running is this, is that it requires all the exertion that you have, all of the strength. It's not like a walk, it's it requires energy, it requires strength, it requires these things. And God says that spiritually, he will give us strength to run, to run in our daily tasks, to deal with whatever issues and problems that we have. He'll give us strength, he'll give us divine strength. My God shall supply you with all your strength according to your needs. That's what he says. He will supply divine strength. He will help us. He will enable us. He tells us that we will not faint. We shall walk and not faint. That's God's promise to us. Soaring, running, walking. So I ask you this morning. Maybe you are experiencing some serious discouragement and depression. Maybe you feel like you're at the end of your rope. What is the one thing that we always say? I'm tired. I can't go anymore. I can't do anymore. I'm tired. Yes, God knows you're tired. But he says he's got strength to help us. Strength to bless us. Strength to keep us going. Strength to enable us. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Who strengthens us. We can do all things. Christ is our strength, our grace. We are in union with Christ. That means that, that we are that we are joined together with Jesus and Christ communicates strength and grace and help to us. A very present help in times of trouble, God is to us. If you run in your own strength, you will fail. It's only by the Lord Jesus Christ that we can run. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Christ is there to help us. I can't tell you when your problems will be better. I can't tell you when he's going to, be, uh, to uh, deliver you from whatever problems you have. But there's a God there who tells us that he will be there to help us. And to have Jesus is better than any of the problems in this world. To have our risen Savior, to know that we are His and He is ours, to know that He loves us and cares for us. He can communicate to us and encourage us on a daily basis. So God does see, God does hear, God does care. He, but wait on Him and He will renew our strength. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for 
these verses. We thank you for the reminder that we are not alone in this battle. That we can fight because you give us strength to fight. We can run because you give us strength to run. We are weak. We admit we're weak. But Lord, where we're weak, you're strong. So help us to rely on you. Refresh us. Encourage us to continue to do your will and to serve you. Because you are worthy and worth it. In Jesus' name, amen.